0: Kevin Poinco and so many others. We join me this morning as we pray? Father, we come before you this morning and as we sung these words in Christ alone, that, uh, help us to be reminded this morning that there is nothing we need in this life beyond you. Wherever we find ourselves this day, help us to recognize our hope is in your resurrected son you so desperately desire to give us a new life, a life in which we can't really explain it, that we find contentment and joy in places and situations that others can't seem to imagine that we're able to find contentment and joy. We pray that you would so transform our hearts and our lives that we would impact the community in which we live, that our neighbors and our co-workers, that our family and our friends would see in us something that something that has made us whole in a way we never were before. Father, we pray today that you would be with all the kids who come this week for Vacation Bible School. We pray that through that time together that there would be at least one who would make a life-changing decision at a young age to serve you with their life. So I hope in our prayer that our kids and our grandkids, our neighbors and our coworkers and their kids and their grandkids would come to know you. Well, I'm convinced this day that there are that you're raising up children and teenagers and young adults to transform this world. May you do here among us as well. Father, we continue to pray for uh, Bill Stafford and for his wife, Chris, that you would help doctors to have wisdom. Um, we pray that the bleeding would just stop, and they may not know why, but they would know he's healed. We continue to pray for Dave Peterson. We know he's lost his wife and he's had have back surgery. It's just been an awful, awful several weeks for him. We have many others in our church who are battling illness. We pray this morning for those who are sick. We pray this morning for marriages, for couples who are struggling, for children who have bad relationships with their parents. We pray that you would reconcile each of those. This morning as we continue together, may we recognize that in the context of all that we do and say, if we would just find life in you, you begin to set our worlds right and set the world itself right. Father, help us this day to be your unique people, a people of faith, hope, and love. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. we be seated. Well, I need to mention this morning that if you, um, and I think some of them are still sleeping because they have struggled all the weekend. Um, several from our church, I don't even know how many, I know it was a lot. A lot of you donated your weekend um, and probably some vacation days and all kinds of other things to help at the Unity Festival this weekend. So I just want to say on behalf of our church and the community, thank you. Um, so if you, if that was you, yeah, thank you. Um, so this morning, as we, as we continue a series that we started... Um, last week. It's a six-week series, and the first two weeks we're talking about marriage, and then two weeks we're going to talk about parenting, and then two weeks we're going to talk about what that looks like for life together in the context of the church. And so this morning, if if you were here last week, you can listen online to catch up if you'd like. Uh, you cannot. Um, I should mention, I, I guess, um, as we talk about these twos, we've been here, Katie and I and the kids have been here two years now. Uh, it seems like um, two months in some days, and it seems like 20 years other days. So um, I'm not sure which it is. But we're, we're thankful to be here and to be a part of you all and for you to be a part of our lives. And, and as we continue this series this morning, um, I was thinking in terms of, of this question we began asking last week. How do, we, how do we have good marriages? How do we have great marriages? How do, how do we create families and homes in which um, life looks better together? And this morning, I, w- I want to say, maybe you find yourself in a position where you're, you're single or um, recently divorced or widowed. And you say, I, you know, this is really isn't for me. And I, I'll be the first to say, in some ways, you're right, it's not. But what is for you today is that uh, you may someday get married or you may someday uh, see a couple struggling and you may be able to speak into that relationship in a way that, that brings health. And so I encourage you this morning that this is for you even if you're not in that position today. But as we were talking last week, we, we kind of pointed out that marriage looks, at, looks, healthy marriage looks like this. It looks selfless. It's about selfless love, not selfish love. It's about our spouse and not about us. It's about how we can love as Christ loves. It's not about um, just just what I can get out of the marriage. We also talk about the marriage is about equal submission, that it's not like one is in charge of the other, because that's a really bad understanding of Scripture, but it's this idea that we are in this together and that we submit to one another. We're uniquely gifted in ways that we support our spouse. And so that's kind of what we talked about last week, but I... I would say this today. My question is, how do we how do we create great families? Because I, I've talked to, to several people I know who are teachers, and and they work with lots of kids. And one of the things that comes up over and over again is, say, well, these kids just have bad home lives. The home life is bad, and and you know if if that was better, we think they'd be better students, and that would lead to being better adults and better lives overall. And so one of the things that has become apparent is that their homes may be broken, mom and dad may not be together, but often even if that's not true, their home is broken anyway, even if mom and dad have stayed together. See, I'm convinced that God wants us to have not just marriages that last, but marriages that are good, that are healthy, that that are things that we enjoy being with our spouse. So that becomes a, a kind of great thing in our homes. And I'm I'm pretty sure that the scriptures have kind of always pointed that out, even though we sometimes miss it. But I want to say as we talk about marriages and, and that kind of thing, that sometimes we're not sure what to do with that and and I, I guess maybe I'd say it this way. I officiate a lot of weddings, and it's not like every week, but but on a pretty regular basis. I've got another one this week, and and weddings are a fascinating thing because every time I meet with a couple, it's the same kind of thing. You know, they have spent countless. Well, let me rephrase that. She has spent countless hours um, picking out a dress. Uh, she spent countless hours picking out colors and. Food and all those kind of things, and often he just says, yes, dear, whatever you want, which is wise. But but other times, it, it, it looks a little different. And so there are even TV shows dedicated to weddings, right? I mean, there's this show called Say Yes to the Dress, which I've been coerced to watch a couple times in my life, but because I didn't have the remote control. Um, but, but there are other things that we've watched at times, like Bridezilla, which uh, is about how brides get nuts for weddings, and maybe you were that bride. Uh, and if so, I apologize to everyone in your family. Um, but there are other, two, we talk about celebrity weddings, and, and there's, you can't pick up a newspaper or a magazine without seeing pictures of some grandiose wedding, and it's almost as if the goal is to spend more money than the last family spent, uh, the last celebrity couple, and so they list how much roughly the guesstimate is what it costs exorbitant amounts of money are spent on weddings. And so the question I always ask couples when they come in, I say, hey, would you marry us? And then I, I always say, actually, no, I won't marry you. guys can marry each other, but I won't marry you. I say, I'll officiate your wedding. I'll be glad to do that. And then they say, okay, well, well what, do we, what do we have to do? And I say, we have to go to premarital counseling. And it usually gets quiet for a second or two because I say, well, have you thought about that? No. And then I work with college students. They would come in and say, well, we want to get married. Isn't that so great? And I'd say, well... Maybe. <laughs> they look at me, kind of funny, and so they say, "Well, you know, aren't you happy for us?" So I'm like, "Well, let me ask this question: How is you getting married going to get a better further the kingdom of God?" And they look at me like I was crazy. I said, "Well, we're so in love," and I look at the guy and I'd say, "You guys just want to have sex." <laughs> and the guy would usually be nodding his head, like, "Yes, that's pretty accurate." And she's going, uh, "No, that's not why." Um, but the reality is that's, that's often what happens is we, we don't think in terms of marriage. We think about wedding day or what it's going to give us. We don't think about in terms of lasting relationships. We think about the moment. And so everything gears up for the wedding. And so when, when counseling will ask, well, how, how, who's going to balance the checkbook? Well, I don't know. We, we just love each other. Well, who's going to take out the trash? And, the, and it's amazing how often they point at each other like well my mom did that or my dad did that or well, who's going to do this or who's going to do that and so you have all these conversations and these questions about who's going to do what and what marriage is going to look like and all of a sudden now they go well we still are so in love and also, I'm going to get to this a little bit later but this whole idea of being in love frankly is just not really true see love is a choice Love is a choice we make every single morning. See, I wake up every day and I say to my wife, whether I say it verbally or just in my head, that I love you and I'll choose to love you today. And I'll choose to love you the rest of my days. See, I, I, there are times, if we're honest, with this idea of in love, you can't fall in and out of love. I mean, that's not what love is. Love is consistent. It's faithful. And so there, there are times when, when probably I don't like her and she, she I know doesn't like me. Um, and I've probably earned it. But we still love each other, and so that's what marriage looks like. Even when you're not sure you like one another, you choose one another daily. See, I, I don't know what, how long you may have been married, if you've been married, or if you've ever been married. But, but I can say this, this far, we we'll have been married eight years, and I can tell you we are more married today than we have ever been. But we're no less married than we were the day we got married. Does that make sense? See, we're way more married today than we were then, and in fact, some of you married 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and if you've been married that long, you're way more married than the rest of us, in really good ways, and probably some not-so-good ways, too. But see, I'm I'm convinced that from the beginning of the scriptures, God paints this picture of what marriage is to look like, what homes are to look like, but so often, we, we repaint that picture, we see all throughout the scriptures that we repainted a picture that wasn't what God intended. See, I think one of the reasons that we see in the Bible pictures of bad marriages is so God can remind us, hey, this isn't perfect. It's something you work at. It takes a lifetime to get better. So so as we look today at the text, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. um, Mark chapter 10, the first, first 12 verses. And so I'd invite you to stand this morning as we read from Mark chapter 10. And here's what Jesus says when he talks about marriage. Mark 10 verse 1 says this. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now I want to say a couple things before we kind of get into this text and kind of look at where Jesus is coming from. Um, so bear with me, because I know today some of you in this room have probably been divorced. Um, I, uh, some of you I know probably, some of you I know have. And I want to say this morning that I, I think the scripture is true, I think unless there's adultery committed that divorce is a sin, I don't think we can escape that in the scriptures at all. I God's pretty clear about that all throughout the Bible. But I want to say to you this morning also that if you, if you look at Jesus' response to those who found themselves caught in adultery or found themselves divorced, I, I think about the story of the woman at the well. She shows up and he says, well, bring me your husband. And, and he says, well, she says, I'm not married. And he says, well, I know you're not married. In fact, the man you're living with isn't your husband. You've had five husbands and this is another one. And he brings her back and he teaches her and he talks to her and he embraces her. Maybe the better story for us today is the woman who was caught in adultery and brought before Jesus and she was thrown down and the people they wanted her stoned and, and Jesus begins writing on the ground and the assumption is he was, he was writing this, and he was writing the sins of all those around him. We don't really know what he was writing, but he was kind of doodling in the sand. And as he looks around the, the, those gathered there, he says this, he said, if, if you're without sin, if you've never done anything wrong in your life, then you get to throw the first stone. And one by one, beginning with the oldest, they leave. Until it's just Jesus and the woman who are left there. And he looks at her and he says, what happened to all your accusers? What happened to all those guys who wanted to condemn you? And she said, well, they've all left. And here's Jesus' response to her. He says, well, then go, but sin no more. So I think there's grace for us, but I do want to say with clarity that God wants our marriages to last. Maybe for you today it's a second marriage, it's a third marriage, whatever it might be, but God wants it to last. See, so Jesus finds himself in this text. He's, he's leaving the Jordan area and he's heading towards um, Judea. And on his way he's stopped by these Pharisees and ask him this question, is it lawful, is it legal to get divorced? And and Jesus quotes to them, you know, they know the passage, and he says, well, what does Moses say? So, well, Moses says, give him a certificate of divorce, and it's okay. In fact, if go, they would have been all thinking about the text from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, that basically says this, that if your wife displeases her, divorce her. Well, it was understood initially to be in terms of adultery, but it turned into a, if there's a younger, better version on, on the lookout. You can go for that one, too. It's okay. Just give it a piece of paper and it's good. The reality is it had become really, really easy for Jewish men to leave their wives. It wasn't so easy for the wives. Now we live in a day where it's easy for men or women to leave one another. And Jesus really right now is probably thinking about the fact that John the Baptist was recently beheaded. He lost his head because he had, he had spoken harshly about Herod Antipas the king of the Jews. See, Herod had divorced his wife and married his brother's wife. And John the Baptist said, this isn't at all what God wants for marriages. And so John, John the Baptist was beheaded, and so Jesus would have been thinking about this. So he was very careful the way he answered this question, because he knew if he said that, no, um, divorce is wrong, then he's going to be brought before Herod. He knew if he said that, well, if you, you, if you just write on a piece of paper, he knew that had gone too far in that day, and that's really what John had been addressing. But what Jesus is also trying to say here is this, that they begins to respond. He says, Well, you know what? Moses gave you that law. Because your hearts got really, really hard. Because no longer was your heart soft towards your spouse. You became these kind of bitter people. You know, the bitter couples that you've been around. He said, You, you just became so bitter. You quit loving in selfless kinds of ways. You quit being to your spouse where God called you be quit loving like God loves and you began to, to live like every other person in the world and it became all about you and a selfish kind of love and so Moses said well fine if someone has an affair if someone cheats on you then you can divorce them and you can leave and, and and you turned it into something so much more than that that if you just if it's just hard one day you can leave God says through Jesus in this text he says well, listen what well, through me through what's going to happen soon i can make your heart soft that my spirit can come into you and you can be so radically transformed that your heart can be so soft that no longer do you care just about selfish needs in marriage but it becomes a selfless understanding of the way we love as jesus loves See, what jesus is painting a picture here is that in, in the kingdom of god marriage is radically radically subversive to the world in which we live that it's something that's to last That it's It takes the world and flips it upside down. It doesn't say, what can I get, but what can I give? It's radical in this thing that Jesus says men and women are equal. He doesn't try to say that, well, guys, you do what you want, and women, you do what you want, or you don't get to do what you want. It's that, no, no, you're in this together. So Paul was so clear about last week about this equal submission. See, I want to say today that sometimes we talk about divorce in these kind of terms. We say, well... You know, half of all marriages end in divorce, and that's just a made-up statistic, by the way. There is actually no, no statistical number that says that's accurate at all, anywhere. Just a guesstimate that that's where it might get to one day. In fact, well, it's, it's really only one in four, one in five. Uh, first-time marriages end in divorce, that's 20 to 25%. That's still too high. But I'll say this, the incredible thing, if you were to, to, and there's several places, if you want the information, I can get it to you later, but there's several places, focus on the family, Christianity Today, uh, even the New York Times will talk about those that are committed to living out their faith, um, and committed to marriage, that the percentage of those who get divorced is between like 5 and 8 percent, it's a pretty small number, it's still too high. See, God wants to do something radically different in homes and in families. In fact, I'm convinced that the reason, and I'm not alone, that most scholars will tell you that the reason the next section of Scripture in this text deals with letting children come to know Jesus and not being a stumbling block to them, the reason that follows this section on marriage and divorce is because that if if moms and dads get divorced often, it makes it really hard for kids to come to know Jesus. I don't care if that kid is 5 or 50. And so what what Jesus is trying to say is make sure that you live out the way God's intention is for your marriage. Make sure your home looks as if God wants it to look. Make sure that you live out the selfless, sacrificial kind of love that so often epitomized who Jesus is. Because Jesus is convinced here that he wants, God wants us to build homes, not just marriages. And the best way that we can, we can create better children or better neighborhoods or better environments is by having better marriages. See, Jesus references this story in Genesis, the the creation story, and it's these texts that you've heard before. It's from Genesis 1.27. says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And then again in chapter 2, verse 24, the writer of Genesis says this, That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. See, what Jesus is talking about isn't a new thing. He basically just skips Moses and goes back earlier. We'll see, here, here's the reality that God so desperately desired in the creation of the world for men and women to be connected in such intimate ways that the two become one. And this intimate fellowship, this intimate relationship that in many ways exemplifies the way God desires to know us. And these two people become one. That's why, that's why we have these two hearts kind of bending in together up front. This idea that it's not just about me, but it's about my spouse. How can I live into a marriage and a relationship in which I come to know them in such deep and intimate ways? It's why we can say this. Um, I'm my wife's, and she's mine. She gets me and no one else does, and I get her and no one else does. That's, that's how marriage works. That's This idea of two becoming one, it's this picture of vulnerability. It's why I think in the creation story, I think it's why Adam and Eve are naked. Because there's an intimacy and a connectivity to one another that, that is the way it's meant to be. I mean, we could talk about the fact that there's sin entered in and, and we knew you naked all that kind of stuff but I'm also pretty sure that in that picture it's what marriage should be. Because in marriage we're as vulnerable as we can ever get. We lay ourselves bare in such ways that God has to do something in and through us and then I want to say that this text in Jesus moves in a way that's kind of touchy for some of us and and it's a little bit difficult for us to hear because he then says this. He says you have to leave your mother and your father. Now in that day, in Jesus' day, a man would would build a room onto his house, onto his parents' home. He'd build his own room. And then when he got married, his wife would come and live in that room and so she would leave her family, leave her possessions, leave everything she knows and come there. And that's why I think the writer is so particular about saying this, that, that A man will leave his mother and father. In other words, even though you may live next door, there better never be a question who the most important person in your life is. See what what Jesus wants you to hear is that in marriage, there better never be a question of whether your birth family is more important than your spouse. Now we could talk about this idea of of selfless love, is going to say, Well, I want you to take care of your parents. I'm not talking about control. But it's about recognizing that your spouse better never question in any way whether you are more valuable to them than their parents are because you must become more valuable for you to be everything in your marriage, for it to be two becoming one, for it to look as if God wants it to look because anything less than that isn't what God desires for marriage. You have to be all in. And to become one and, and in a different kind of way, and you maybe you didn't expect to hear this this morning, but sex in the context of marriage is a really good thing. Sex should be celebrated in the context of marriage. In fact, it should be fun. There's something about intimacy in your home that should not happen anywhere else. It's between a husband and a wife in such a way that you should enjoy it. We seek to create intimacy in the home, and I think really the church has done a disservice in terms of sex. I really do. I really think we have screwed this up in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. See, we've worked really hard at telling people just don't do it. And so we don't talk about sex at all in the church. We say, well, let's just kind of ignore that topic altogether. See, I'm convinced that sex is a really good thing that God created, but it's to happen in the context of marriage and only in that context. And we we just say, well, then don't do it. But the reality is it's probably always good. It's just it creates some baggage in other ways and other places in our lives. Maybe I should say it this way. Um... If I, if I were to try to, to paint this picture in some ways, that sex in our culture is culturally um, promoted, but it's not really true intimacy. See, when the church has done a bad job of talking about it, others have stepped in. You know, We, we have couples, and I've talked with some who, who they didn't. They, they waited before marriage, and then when they got married, they had no idea really what they were doing, and, and it was awkward and uncomfortable, and no one talked to them about it. And That's the church's fault, or the parents' fault, or both. Well, other couples haven't waited at all and they get married and they expect it to be something totally different than it was and, and they find that it takes more time and effort and work for this to be what God really intended because I, this analogy is the best I have and I apologize. It's not that good. It's as if when we have sex with someone that it's like two cloths that come together that create a shirt. It's a bad analogy. I told you it's bad. You know, the seams on both sides. But, but they come together and create this shirt and and... And the two pieces of fabric match the first time. They match perfect. The problem is if it's not in the context of marriage, often that doesn't last and it doesn't work. And so those two pieces of fabric get ripped apart. And no matter how much you try to reconnect them with something else, there's never gonna be a perfect fit initially. Now it doesn't mean over time that it can't be worked on and fixed and managed and improved to the point that it mends itself together and it looks like it was the same piece of fabric, but but it's harder to do it that way. See, the reason in the beginning God said two become one is because there's something, a a part of us that becomes connected with our spouse in a way it's true intimacy the way God desired for it to be. It's not to say God can't can't take our past and redefine it and reshape it, but it's that sometimes we then carry stuff into our, our homes that we didn't want to bring. But the great thing about the way God works is he he keeps working at that. And we keep working at it together in the context of husbands and wives together. And it's this beautiful picture of two becoming one. See, I'm convinced that we don't need to tell children and teenagers don't have sex, because they're going to if we, if that's our only response. I guarantee they do. But we need to say it this way, that that there's something unique that happens in the confines of marriage that we really can't explain. There's something unique about giving yourself wholly to this one person in every single kind of way and then giving themselves to you. That's what God so desperately desires for us in that context. For many of us, we can't say that. But it doesn't mean God can't redeem our home in such a way that that becomes the context that two become one where we live. See, I don't... um, I would ask this question because I believe God's intention is for us to have homes that look incredible for marriages that last. And some of you today are going, well, I'm single, and I'll say this, then wait, and if you haven't waited, then wait now. Not because it's, sex is bad, because sex is, sex is good. It's really good. It's a good thing. But it's even better in the context of someone you love and you want to spend your life with so I want to say this is more than this question I have is then how do we create intimacy that, that God's talking about, that Jesus is telling people about? How do we create that kind of intimacy in our home? What, what does that look like? How do we love our spouse, not just be in love with our spouse? How do we love them in such a way that's selfless and sacrificial? How do we move our marriages in that way? And so I'll say this line, and don't miss this. The grass is not greener on the other side. Water in your own yard. In other words, don't keep looking at other men or women, wishing that they were your spouse because they're not. Unless you're single, and they might become that, so I, I don't know. But men and women both don't click on the computer too many times that you find yourself looking at things that aren't your spouse, because that brings in destruction into your home. So I've given some don'ts, but what about this? Do seek to improve the life of your spouse in whatever way you can. Do seek to be more intimate with your spouse in every way you can, emotionally and physically. Be connected as much as you can. Don't be disconnected and, and wonder why they're not connected to you if you're not connected in some kind of way. Do keep trying to date your spouse. Don't quit thinking that you have to keep trying now that you got married. See, I, I, here's another one, and I know this is going to be... Uh, some of you go, oh, I don't know... Many of us dress up for work or dress up for other things but when we go home we put on our sweatpants and our t-shirt and we say we're good. Um, make sure your spouse doesn't get the worst of you. Make sure they get the best as well. It doesn't mean you can't wear your sweats and your t-shirt but make sure every time you don't choose to look like garbage for them. If everybody else gets the best and they get the leftover that doesn't say much about what you think about them. As I would say that we could go a little bit further and, and talk about it in, in this kind of way. That If you really want to encourage your home and your marriage and your family and you want it to be better, make sure you know that whatever influences you influences you in positive ways. So in other words, if people talk badly about your spouse, don't allow them to speak into your life. Determine who the influencers on your life are. If it's the community of faith, allow it to be the community of faith to shape you in positive directions. If it's co-workers, but they talk badly about marriage and about their spouses, then don't be brought into that. Find yourself separated from that because it will begin to bleed into your own home see, the great thing is we can determine who influences our life. We can, we can choose people that build us up or we can choose people that tear us down. We can choose people who build up marriage or we can choose people who tear marriage down. But make sure we do everything that we can to choose the one that builds us up and doesn't tear us down. I don't think I can say this enough. Husbands, fight for your wives. And wives, fight for your Husbands. Do everything you can to create this picture of two becoming one because this really is God's intention for marriage. There's a whole laundry list, and I guess each couple is different. Each couple has unique strengths and weaknesses, and do everything you can to love your spouse in selfless, sacrificial, equally submissive ways. Because that's God's call for marriage, this idea of two becoming one. It's not about ownership, but it's about intimacy. It's not about control, but it's about selflessness. It's two becoming one. I would say this, to pray for your spouse. Don't pray that they'll change, because we that's a really bad idea. Just pray for them. Pray that God will change you and your heart. So this morning, I'm going to do something that we um, don't often do. In many ways, I left you with some things, some questions unanswered and things that you can think about and wrestle with later. But this morning, I want to invite you, and, and some of you, I know your spouse maybe is working or not here or whatever the case might be, and that's okay, so you don't have to feel obligated to this. In just a moment, I'm going to invite everyone to stand, and and I'm going to invite, if you're here and your your spouse is here, and and I'm going to ask you to come forward, and it doesn't mean that your marriage is is on the rocks or bad, in fact, it might be great, but I invite everyone who's here and their spouse is here to come and to kneel and to pray, and if there's no room here, you can sit in the front row, or maybe you can't kneel because your knees are bad, that's okay too, but I invite you to come forward, and and we're just going to pray for marriages. Um, If your spouse isn't here and you want to come in honor of them, you're welcome to come as well. And we're just praying that God will help us to be more committed to our spouses, that we'll choose them every single day, that we'll show them the love of Christ in every kind of way, um, because that's God's intention for marriage. The two become one. And like I said today, if you're single and you say, well, this isn't for me, I'm not married. I don't know, I want to say this, that I believe that we see, and the reason we sang the song In Christ Alone before this was because in Christ alone do we find our fulfillment. In our marriage, we don't find our fulfillment. In our relationship with friends, we don't find our fulfillment. Those things are important, but we find the fulfillment that we know that comes only in knowing Jesus. And so it doesn't matter if you're single or married for that to be true today. But if you are married this morning, we want to encourage you to have a stronger marriage, to be more committed to your marriage, to be more committed to your spouse, to do everything that you can to show them selfless, sacrificial love. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning, um, and then I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I would invite you to come, uh, you and your spouse, to come and kneel um, or sit in the front row. Uh, And so as I pray and as we prepare to sing, um, I'd invite you to come and do that. Coming out this time. Father, I invite you into this place for us this morning. We pray that you would be with us, be with our marriages and with our homes and with our families. I pray that you would help us to look more and more like your son Jesus. That our marriages would be defined by selfless and sacrificial love. So Father, this morning us in everything. That we would create stronger homes and better marriages, and maybe today that if we have gone through a divorce or we're struggling and we're not sure we're going to make it, that you would give us grace today in such powerful and tangible ways. Help us to know that even in the midst of brokenness, that you are near, and so may we find our fulfillment and our strength in you. May you help us in our homes to create intimacy, but. But more importantly, may we know you in such deep and intimate ways that it has radically transformed who we are. So Father, in just these moments, I pray for the couples who are represented, those who are kneeling, those who are standing, those who are seated. pray for the couples who one's here and one's not. I pray for those who find themselves in different places, in different life circumstances today. We pray for those who've lost a spouse. Father, I pray right now that you would be here among us and as we sing this song, to serve God of this city, we pray that those families and marriages that are represented here would become light into our community and that we together would strengthen marriages where we live and where we work. Help us to be committed to look more and more like Jesus in our homes. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.